Hey, welcome again to Open Life and excited to share this talk with you. We're still in the series uh, where we are straining to find hope. And I think today is going to especially relate to you uh, this week with the orders we had to kind of stay in our place. And uh, I, I hope you're incredibly encouraged. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to jump right into the text. And I think maybe you'll catch how it connects to the way we're currently living. Here we go, Acts 16, verse 16 through 34 says, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, let me time out right there. Uh, this is being written by Luke. And Luke is recording the early church's travel and everything. So when he's saying one day we, uh, that means he was there, he was with, those being written about recording this directly. So um, uh, pretty interesting when you when you take into the context. Here we go. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. And the whole city is in an uproar, they said, because of these Jews, and they shouted at the officials, they are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and when they and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open and he assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself, but Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he, he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds, and then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Wow. Okay, could it just 
Could that be the result of every day, right? I mean, come on, what an incredible story. But this, listen to what happens in there. Paul and Silas are going to the place of prayer, and they ended up in prison. They were going to the place of prayer, and they ended up in torture stocks, chained. It was filthy, and they were in an inner dungeon of a prison. They were going somewhere they went day after day, right? That's what it says as a regular practice of prayer. But this day would be different. They found themselves in prison, but Paul and Silas were determined to not let their place determine their practice. They were determined not to let their place determine their practice. They were going to continue to pursue God in their prison. Big idea today, the place doesn't matter. The place does not matter. Let's first understand that Paul and Silas are locked up. They are jailed. They are put on a stay-in-your-cell order. See what I did there? Um, that Solitary confinement, they're in it. And they demonstrate how to not let your confinement derail your refinement. Yeah, what happens when you leave a pastor in his house for days on end as he starts thinking rhyming is cool in his talks and uh, it's nothing but trouble for all of us. So uh, we in trouble up in here, right? You know, it's just coming out and I'm writing it down and I'm thinking this is a good idea, but I'm looking at other people's faces like Jaden as he's recording it and I'm just going, uh, anyway, this will happen. Speaking of trouble, listen to this. What can we learn from these two men who are straining to find hope? How do they behave when they're locked up? How do, how do they find and manifest their hope in this moment they find themselves in a different place? And, and what is the impact on those around them? That's what we're looking at. How did God use their prayers, their songs, to shift the atmosphere in this prison? Uh, thought one, we press through confinement with prayer and singing. We press through with prayer and singing. The tension of being confined in homes, um, it's not unlike the prison. Some would say the torture would be the homeschooling, the uh, <laughs> constant wash your hands, the constant confinement. You're feeling me. It's a little overwhelming, right? Uh, but hopefully it's a little more comfortable than what they were in. As you research, like, tell me about this prison. What was this like? It was filthy. You saw that the jailer was the one who cleaned them at midnight after everything happens. They were dirty. They were bloody. They were in, put in an inner cell, which meant they went through door after door after door, past prisoner after prisoner, to the most inner room. It was dark. It would be wet. If it was a dungeon scenario, they were most likely in a lower cavity of a prison, which means everything flows down. You know what I'm saying? So what was it like? Like, what was the mindset or the context of this prison like? I think maybe I could illustrate kids are I hope kids are in the room right now because I may need a little help with this one uh, if you if you can help me with this I'm gonna I'm gonna jump around a little bit but let's see if I can do this I've seen dark 
before, but not like this. This is cold. This is empty. This is numb. The life I knew is over. The lights are out. Hello, darkness. I'm ready to succumb. You are lost. Hope is gone. But you must go on and do the next right thing. Come on, let's take it right to the end. When it's clear that everything will never be the same again. Whew, I'm dizzy. Then I'll make the choice to hear that voice and do the next right thing. I am seriously dizzy, but anyway, thank you, thank you. Uh, I know there's applause in all the homes right now. Neighbors are thinking it's for those going into work, but right now you're you're applauding the song. No, the darkness was different, kids, that was facing these two in prison. It, it was, but now you know kind of what their experience was like. It was dark, it was low, it was dim, and one could easily get depressed, but these stocks that these guys are in, like torture chambers, they're experiencing pain, and yet they lift up their voice in prayer and praise. It's mind-boggling what they choose to do in their darkness. No wonder Paul could write passages like 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10, when he said, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Can I just speak life over you today? Um, you're not abandoned. You're not abandoned. In fact, we, we can read right here. God has not left us alone. Yes, we, we may be perplexed, but we're absolutely not destroyed. And I hope that's your mindset today. I will not be destroyed. I'm not abandoned. I'm not alone. And it's within these circumstances, Paul and Silas find themselves doing the next right thing. And that was lifting up their voice in prayer. And they were doing something that nobody probably had heard in a while in that prison. And they begin to lift a song. They begin to lift their voices in praise to God. I just want to know, has your place impacted your passion? Has your place shifted your passion or are you owning your place? Have you let your place hinder your peace? Press through with me today. Like, press through that today. Let me give you some fuel uh, to posture, you know, ultimately your, your prayer and praise. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body, you're called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's what was being experienced in this prison. These guys break out of prison by breaking out in prayer and praise. 
How incredible is that? And then they didn't even leave the prison. They just had full integrity. Uh, author of How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People, uh, Pete Gregg says this in his book. It says, melody and harmony are God-given gifts that can stir the human soul more powerful than any other external stimulus. When it comes to worship, instrumental music has the added advantage of bypassing the left hemisphere of the brain's central cortex, enabling our spirits to soar, unencumbered by the constraints of language. Man, in these unprecedented times, let us be unencumbered through our prayer and praise. The place doesn't matter. The place does not matter. Second thought, how you handle confinement impacts others. It fully impacts others. We've read a little segment of this the last couple of weeks, and thank you for those who reposted it and, and uh, put it online to share encouragement to others. But let's read even a little more of Philippians 4. Let's start in verse 4 because it's important context for this talk. It says in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Like that's always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Again, this is the author that was in prison. This is Paul writing these words. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He's a God of peace and he will be with you. The author of this is the same one demonstrating that the place doesn't matter in this text. Worshiping in prison. We've learned and seen in him the practice of prayer and singing in the midst of your prison will free you. But not only you. How the followers of Jesus behave during the time of confinement will determine the salvation of many. I 100% believe this. Let your confinement lead to the alignment and refinement of others. Told you I couldn't resist it. It's just, you know, these rhyming things just bubbling up. Paul and Silas were not praying and worshiping to be heard. They didn't go out on the balcony. Well, Pastor said, I gotta pray. I don't think any of you listening probably talk like this. If you do, it's okay. It's you be you. Okay, I'm digging a hole. Here we go. Uh, but you go out on the back porch and you're like, well, Pastor said I should be praying and praising, so I'm going to do it as loud as possible. I'm going to make a joyful noise for the Lord, you know? And so you just go out on the back deck and you're just like, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. You know, that's, that's, if God leads you to do that, you, you do you, you know what I'm saying? But uh, what he's saying here is not necessarily that you have to manufacture the amplification. See, what God does is God turns this bad into good in a way that's very genuine. In fact, it worked to amplify Paul and Silas' faith where they were located in the prison. Catch this. I just want to say this. As you look at the gospel being amplified 
across the earth right now, I think it very much so parallels this scene with Paul and Silas. I look at how many people are sharing the gospel on Sundays online. More eyes and ears than ever before are able to listen and pay attention to what is being prayed and watched, right? And I look at this and I say, the enemy may have done a victory dance when Jesus was on the cross, but it was three days later when Jesus jumped up from the tomb and did a victory dance on death, hell, and the grave. I look at the fact that the enemy may have done a victory dance when the churches had to close and create social distancing, but all of a sudden, uh, the church rised up and began to amplify the message of the gospel through the internet in a way that's never been done before, redeeming technology, and it's this amplification, no different than what happened in that prison as they were in the lower part of that prison, and the amplification of their prayer and praise went to every prisoner so that they could listen. The prisoners are listening. People who are confined are searching, they're straining to find hope, and they're listening. We cannot hold back our faith in a season such as this. Those who are confined are watching your social feeds. In fact, we're probably on social media more than what is healthy right now. We need to hit pause on that too. But we need to at least share our heart, what's encouraging us. We need to do things that are, that are self-giving, selfless giving to others and not just self-preserving though. They're watching the church and whether we'll be the church or whether we'll shrink as the church. And what I've seen is the church amplified. And I believe that's God, that's a miracle. So due to the fact that these prisoners overheard the prayers and the praise of Paul and Silas, when those doors were struck open, they remained in the presence of God. When things opened up, they continued to want more. When things were shaken, they knew it was the God of those who were praying and singing, and they were able to get more by staying in there with Paul and Silas. I believe that's what the future holds for the church. We're going to grow in this season. We're going to amplify the gospel in this season. And I hope you're someone who's found your way here and you're straining to find hope, and you're able to find it in the real, living, loving Jesus Christ today. The same as the jailer when he figured out that the prison doors were open and he ran and he fell down in the presence of those who knew an answer during the season that they were in. And that answer was Jesus. The whole household rejoiced because they put their faith in Jesus. And I want you all to put your faith in Jesus today like never before. Not only can you put your faith in Jesus today, but you can rejoice along with all those whose lives are being transformed together. Own your place, and the place doesn't matter. Wherever you're at, God can find you there. Our action point this week is simple, kinda. Pursue God in your prison. Now, no offense to those who are actually in prison, right? But sometimes confinement and locking ourselves down in a stay-at-home order can feel like we're imprisoned in our own familiarity. We'll do something unfamiliar, pray together, Kneel down at a couch or a bedside. Talk to God. Let him know how you're feeling. Open up one of the playlists that we've shared on YouTube or on Spotify and, and find yourself worshiping God. A fresh praise to the Lord. Maybe something you find off the 
the Facebook group of Open Life, if you're a part of Open Life, I just look at this and I go, man, there's ways that we can just turn our place around, the atmosphere. Uh, so turn your space into a place of prayer and praise. And I, and, and I want to think ultimately before we pray for all of us, I want to think for a moment and share a story with you about the way Jesus treated places. Places were important to Jesus. In fact, we find that uh, in Jesus' life, he would practice social distancing. He would find himself going off into lonely places to pray. He encouraged his disciples, his followers, to, to lock themselves in a closet and pray one-on-one -on -one with God at times. Uh, he, he challenged them in his final moments before he ascended into heaven to stay in a place and pray. And listen to what happens when they did that. In Acts 2, 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They were together in a place, right? Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as they were enabled. The place was filled before the people. And that's significant. God cares about places and he can transform any place by the power of his Holy Spirit so that he can transform hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, the same authors earlier in the How to Pray book uh, tells a story about finding your place of prayer. And he says the ancient Celtic Christians understood very well that the Holy Spirit can saturate, saturate places as well as people. They describe such sacred sites as thin places. Your thin place might simply be a particular chair in your house, a, a bench in the park, a, a hollowed half hour on your daily commute in the future, right? Uh, a regular slot in a 24-7 prayer room, or even time in the sanctuary of your bathroom. Uh, spiritual teacher Richard Foster argues uh, to find a place of focus, a loft, a garden, a spare room, an attic, even a designated chair, somewhere away from the routine of life out of the path of distractions. Allow this spot to become a sacred tent of meeting. So where's your chair? He continues and, and tells this story. And, Advertising executive became a Christian, but said that he was too busy to carve out a daily time of prayer. It's easy for you, he told the new pastor. You have all the time in the world, but I can't fit anything else into my life. The pastor pushed back against the advertising executive's complaint with a gentle challenge. You know, he said, I've always managed to make time for the things I really value. That new believer went away and bought himself a really nice rocking chair, set it down in front of a window in his house, and began to get up just 20 minutes earlier each day to sit in it and read the Bible and pray. As he maintained this simple daily rhythm, his wife and colleagues began to notice that he was becoming less scattered, more peaceful, and kinder. That rocking chair was becoming his thin place. Months turned into years. A daily discipline became a holy habit. And then one morning he sat there rocking and the Lord invited him to quit his job, sell the family home, 
and relocate from Chicago to Colorado, where a church needed his help. It was a life-changing moment that launched his entire family into a new and remarkable, fruitful season of life. Several years later, that successful executive was diagnosed with a particularly aggressive form of incurable cancer. But he continued to keep his appointment with God each morning in that chair. During his last remaining days, he found strength there in prayer for the hardest transition of them all. The day of the funeral dawned and a friend found his grieving wife gazing at the rocking chair. What are you going to do with it now? He inquired. Oh, we're going to pass it down to our children and grandchildren, she replied without hesitation. I love to think of them sitting in it with the way my husband did, unburdening their hearts, listening to the Lord, letting him shape and direct their lives. Where's your chair? Wow. What a story. Where's, where's your own thin place? In this confinement, find it in your house, somewhere, a bathroom, lock the door, do whatever you need to find your quiet spot. First, you need to lean in on that relationship with Jesus. Choose to follow Jesus today. Then find your place to have regular conversation with him. I, I want to pray for you because I believe the Holy Spirit's going to meet you in your place. God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to, to gather here online together. And I pray for a special dose of grace and the Holy Spirit to invade every place that is tuning in today, right now. I pray your encouragement to come to people that the place doesn't matter and they can take up their prayer and their worship to you boldly and that you're listening, you're taking pleasure in their voice. And not only are you listening, people around are listening and being transformed by the faith in the gospel. And for some, Lord, that have yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, may they do this right now and just say, Jesus, come into my life. I want you as Lord. I want this peace. I want this comfort that I've heard about today. I want to put my faith in you and I want to grow in a relationship with you in my own thin place. God, I pray that you would allow us to grow while we're in containment and that we would develop a relationship with you that just explodes when the doors are set open in the coming weeks. God, I thank you for your heart for us, for your scriptures that can encourage us in seasons like this. Bless every soul listening today in a mighty way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.